many years ago, National Geographic had this offshoot magazine called National Geographic Adventure. And it's no longer a publication, but it kind of still exists sort of online. And I remember back then I was reading one of the article because as you guys know, I, I was into mountaineering and climbing and, and mountain biking and all types of outdoorsy things. So it was kind of a fun magazine for me. But one time they did an article and it was the 100 greatest adventure books ever written. And, and I was kind of looking through the list and, I, and I'd actually recognized some of the titles because all the titles I had read had been generally uh, just climbing related stuff or mountain, mountaineering related things. But there's a number of those titles on there. And some of you I'm sure have read at least uh, Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, which is one of the books on that list. And many others like um, Contiki and The Worst Journey of the World about one of the polar explorations and um, the right stuff. There, there's many, many titles on there, but, but it's a really great list. So some years ago, I just decided that I was like, oh, let me branch out and read just more than the mountaineering versions of these things. And, uh, and so I was like, I'm going to try to read this whole list someday. So I still have a ways to go, but I have read about 40 out of the 100. So I'm, I'm making my way slowly there. But um, one of the books on there, though, is about the journey of Ernest Shackleton and his crew to the South Pole. And they famously had a ship called the Endurance. And the Endurance got stuck. This is in 1915. It got stuck in the pack ice. And what ended up happening was that, you know, they were living there for a little while, knowing that eventually the pack ice was probably going to crush, crush this ship. And so they had to just prepare by offloading a bunch of the survival supplies that they need, their dog teams, and, you know, building like small boats that they had and different things like that. And so a really hardy group of men were on that mission. And so famously, it said that Ernest Shackleton put an ad out in the paper before he did that expedition. Now there's some question on whether or not this ad is legend or not anyway, but it certainly captures the spirit of, um, of the journey. But this was the ad, it read, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. And I thought, this is a lot like the priesthood. Yeah. And in the end, though, over 5,000 men responded to this ad and wanted to be a part of that. And I say that because I think that one of the most important things about just our lives in general and certainly of the priesthood is this idea of raising a high bar for us to reach for. Uh, any of you that have either been teachers or also have learned um, how to play a sport, how to play an instrument, you know, all of these types of things that we really learn and that require mentorship and discipline, um, think about the teachers that you've had that have had a very low bar and how well you've done with that and those that raised a very high bar and your response to that or how good you got from that coach or that teacher that actually pushed you pretty hard to learn. That's, I think, why Ernest Shackleton had such a great, great response. It was because deep within inside each of us, I think, is a yearning to actually do something great, something unique. Um, actually not go towards the comfort, but actually go towards like guaranteed difficulty in some way we're attracted to that because of that clincher at the end. Honor and recognition in case of success. 
you know, and that's exactly what our Christian life is like in so many ways. So today on this Good Shepherd Sunday, one of the most important things that we're mindful of and we focus on is specifically the vocation to the priesthood. But as I speak about vocations to the priesthood, I also want to impress on all of us that many of the things that I say about vocations to the priesthood also go for vocations to religious life as well for, for women. And so, I mean, I'm talking about all religious vocations, whether you're called to be a nun, a religious sister, or a priest, or a friar, or a brother. Um, I'm specifically talking about priesthood in many of these instances, but when I encourage you to cultivate vocations, I'm talking about all vocations to religious life because they're so important and we are fighting against a culture right now that has zero interest in cultivating religious vocation. And so when I think about my life, you know, they call me an older vocation. So I'm kind of an old man, right? I was ordained at 30, the ripe old age of 39 years old, older vocation. I was actually the second oldest guy in my class um, in Rome, you know, so second oldest guy in a class of about, of about 50 guys when we first started out. Um, and this was kind of a wake-up call to me, too, because my friend, Father Joe Squillachodi, is a priest in Orange County, California, and he just had open-heart surgery, and he's only two years older than me. I was like, oh, maybe I'm getting a little older than I think, but, um, but he was, uh, you know, we were the two oldest in my class, and then Father Carey was ordained at um, 26 years, years old, which is actually the youngest you're allowed to be ordained in these days. Canonically, that's the youngest you can be ordained. So he was way ahead of the curve for me. But one of the most important things is that, you know, you've heard that term before, as you've raised, many of you have raised many children, um, that it takes a village, right, to, to raise a child successfully. I was just like, it takes way more than that to raise a priest successfully. But I will say this, it starts in your home. It really starts in your home. I still remember right before I was about to ship out to Rome, I had dinner with Archbishop Blasny at Nona Amelia's just here in Beaverton. And um, I was just like, Archbishop, any, any advice? Like, is there some advice you can give to me before I go? He's just like, ah, oh, you know, well, Peter, you know, you'll do, you, you'll do fine. He goes, most, you'll be in formation and everything like that. And he said, but most of the formation has already taken care of in your family with your parents, and they did a good job. So I'm sure they'll be glad to hear that as well. But that's an important thing to realize. It has to start with all of you in your family. Whether you have sons or whether they are grandsons or nephews, whoever they are, this priesthood has to be a vital, you know, a viable option for them. It's got to be a real thing. I'm sure all of you have heard this story before, and it's very true because it, it happens. Maybe you've even been guilty of this, so sh for shame if you hear this right now. So, you know, somebody said, oh, hey, you know, has so-and-so has ever thought about being a priest? And then you say, oh, well, not my son. He's got way too much going on. You know, it's just like, shame on you. You know, like, so don't ever think that way. You know, it's just like, this is not, you know, I had a, one of the former rectors of Mount Angel for a long time had said, he's like, seminary is not the place of last resort. You know, that's not like where you go because nothing else has worked out in your life. No, that is not the way that it works. It's so important that we realize that a call to the priesthood 
is a viable thing to do in this life. And not only is it a viable thing, it's the most important thing because of this very reason right here. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but if we remember in this reading from the Acts of the Apostles today, one of the things that's important, so just everybody, there's, there's plenty of people here that are old enough to remember dialing information, right? The 411, right? And so for those of you that are younger here today, back in the day, before you can Google anything, you could literally pick up the phone and dial 411 and you would get an operator and you would say like, hey, where's the address for this? Or is there a, um, a bakery in town nearby here? And they would give you information. And I did hear that apparently uh, people used to actually call and ask about questions for their homework on 411. Some operators had reported back in the day. But this is the way I always remember one of the most important things that is written in Acts of the Apostles. So this, where the business end is, is verse 411. He is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. That is the 411. There is no more important piece of information than that right there. And that is the reason that I became a priest. Is because I tried a million other different things, and I don't know, they worked out for better or for worse in some way, shape, or form. But when I finally really let the Lord take reign of my life, then I realized that none of the things that I were doing were in, as important as that one thing. And, and brothers and sisters, I tell you, I was like, there are a million inadequacies that I have. I mean, oh gosh, I, I, I cannot, I still don't understand how I have as much education as I do because I'm a bad student. I don't like school at all, really. This is a true story. There were two times in my life where I said prayers of desperation in the heat of the moment to God. One of them was when I graduated from my undergrad degree at Baylor. I was walking across the stage with my diploma in my hand, and I looked up to a blue, sunny Texas sky, and I said, thank you, Jesus, never again. That, that was my experience of college. It was miraculous that I even got through it. Little did I know that 12 years later that I was going to have to go to school for eight more years. And not just school, formation, the, the vice of formation. I mentioned this, and I said I wasn't going to throw him under the bus, but I am anyway. I actually met Lorenz, one of our pianists, in the seminary. We actually met originally at Mount Angel. And so this is the thing about formation. We need to encourage men to just get there because that's the next step of discernment. I obviously discerned throughout the years that I should be a priest. And Lawrence decided that he wasn't going to be a priest. But I guarantee you, if you ask about if his time in seminary was important, the time he spent in vocation, he would tell you yes. Because this is the thing that you don't want to happen, that happens because people tell us. You don't want to be an old man in your 60s and come up to a priest and say, you know what, Father? I thought, of be, I thought about being a priest, and I just never did it. It's like, you don't want that to be a question. If you go, 
the discernment of the priesthood is a good thing. And to go to the seminary is further discernment. Now, there is a point where you have to do what my dad said to me. He's like, you got to stop discerning and start deciding, which is very good advice from a father, right? There is a point where you have to make a choice. You know, is this the way that I'm going to go? But it's just like, but to go and even ever, to ponder the idea that you would bring Christ to other people, to actually submit to formation. And, uh, you know, it is kind of like a, a pressure cooker or like a vice, if you will. It squeezes you in all kinds of uncomfortable ways. But that's the idea. The idea is to actually form you into a likeness of Jesus Christ. And I would have never known that I should be a priest, really, if it wasn't for people recognizing it in me before I had ever recognized it in myself. You know, so these comments, the things that you say to young men are important. If you see something in them, a kind disposition, somebody who's willing to help, somebody who wants to participate in ministries at church or part of the mass, those are all amazingly good signs of temperaments that could potentially be good priests someday. I still remember that one of our parishioners, a couple parishioners here in, uh, at St. Cecilia, used to go to the 7.30 a.m. daily masses at the cathedral because they worked closer to that part of town. And for a little while, I was a sacristan at the, at the daily masses at cathedral. And so one morning after I had served mass, uh, this is when I was working at the Mac Club as, you know, climbing instructor Peter. And so I would go over there right after I finished with Mass. But I was closing up the church, and I was back by the front entrance of the church. And she waited for me. And she had her hands over her heart and said to me, I just want you to know that you serve the Mass so reverently, and it means so much to me. And that comment that she said to me meant so much to me. But it was, I was trying my very best to do that one very thing, is to serve as worthily as I can serve something so as important as the Mass. But she saw something in me that I didn't necessarily even see in myself. So it was extremely important that she actually said it to me. On another occasion, some of you may have known her, but um, for many years, there was an Irish Franciscan sister that took care of the, the household at, of the bishop there at the cathedral. And she did so for um, Cardinal Levada, God bless his soul, and then also for Archbishop Lasney. She, she was there for, I gosh, I think about 15 years or so doing that. And she would often read at the daily masses and different things like that. But one day after the mass, I was praying my rosary and kneeling in the pew, and she walked in my pew. No, nobody else was really there. It was like a couple people praying still. And she walked in front of my pew, walked by, and with my hands, you know, clutching my rosary, she put her hand over my hand, holding my rosary, and she said, you're such a centered young man. <laughs> and I was thinking, sister, it couldn't be further from the truth, at least at that moment in my life. But again, there was something that she saw in me, a prayerful demeanor, a desire to actually be with God and to pray to God. On yet another occasion, God rest his soul, Father George Wolfe was the rector at the cathedral at that time. And he was way more subtle about things like this. But I was sitting there in the pew, praying my rosary after mass, 
And there's a book about vocations to the priesthood called To Save a Thousand Souls. And he just walked by and he put it at the end of the pew. <laughs> and so, you know, but many different subtle ways that people have suggested these things to me. But that was so very important to me because people noticed it in me and I needed to start looking back on my life and notice it myself, my other prayer of desperation. Many of you know that one of the most profound stories of my life is when I was a young man, when I was 20 years old, um, I was engaged to be married, but my fiance, she passed away from, from brain cancer. And that whole experience for me was also a very deep part of my vocation to the priesthood as well, just experiencing her life and her death. And, you know, because I was a young, stupid man, they asked me if I wanted to speak at her memorial service, and I was like, of course, which was like the worst thing I could say, because emotionally, I wasn't really prepared to do so. But, uh, but of course, you know, there was a young enough bravado in me that I said, yes, of course. And so um, this was on a chapel on Baylor's campus, and there were about 400 people there, her family, my family, my, all of my friends, a ton of our professors and stuff like that. It was certainly the biggest crowd I will have ever speaking, spoken to at that point in my life, you know, this 400 people that was there. I was so nervous, you know, and I remember walking up to the ambo and prayer of desperation. Well, I guess it was more like a lectern or a podium, not really an ambo, but I was walking up to it and I said, Lord, if this is your way of getting me over public speaking, I am not a fan. But I, I, I tell you what, brothers and sisters, I tell you what, I stood up there and a wave of calm came over me and I have never been afraid to speak publicly ever since that moment. And I started looking back on my life at my gifts and talents and also my inadequacies. And I was having a real hard time juggling whether or not I was worthy or I was capable of doing it. I say this to young people. I already told you that I was a bad student, but I say this to young people all the time about my, my discernment journey. I was in the top half of the bottom half of my class, you know, which puts that squarely just below the middle. Like, you know, it was not a happy academic experience for me. And that was hard for me in seminary because I often ask myself the question of whether or not I was even smart enough to be a priest in the first place. One of the same questions that the patron saint for parish priest, St. John Vianney, asked himself. They didn't even know if he, was gonna, he had enough ability in Latin to even become a priest. And yet he is our patron. It's, it's an amazing thing. God can overcome, super abundantly overcome, for the things that we lack. I don't know how he does it, but somehow he does it. You know, we hear that from St. Paul. Remember, recall this, this famous, this famous verse from St. Paul where he says that he had a thorn in his flesh. We don't exactly know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was, but it was some sort of inadequacy in his life. And he begs the Lord three different times to remove that thorn in his flesh. But then he says, but the Lord did not see fit to do so. So that I would rely on him. Not, not that he could do everything on his own. And so with this thorn in the flesh, Paul became one of the most powerful apostles and evangelists that the world has ever known. He can super abundantly provide for us in our inadequacies, 
And, and, and that is exactly what he has done in my priesthood. I, I, sometimes I have no idea how I made it through all those years of seminary, if not for the grace of God and for your prayers. Those of you that pray for vocations, that pray for priests. Because I guarantee you, out there in the world, in culture right now, people are saying, you should not do this. Why would you be a priest? Why would you be unhappy? And that's the great fear. The great fear is that, you know, as Archbishop Blasney used to say, he said, when you give your life to the Lord, don't be afraid when he takes it. <laughs> you know, and stuff. And that's very true. You give your life to the Lord. But I tell you what, brothers, I am the most happy I have ever been in my 41 years of existence as a priest. I really am. I've always been kind of a happy person in general, but I feel fully myself like this, actually being here with all of you. And I don't know, this is how it works. Some people are called to be priests when they're young, and they know that. And then some people go out and decide to be fishermen, and then they get reassigned later in life. That's my story. That's how it worked for me. When I was at Immaculate Conception, before I returned to Rome to, to, to finish my studies, um, there was a young man working with me there in, in, uh, on, as a part of the parish staff. And I said to him one day, I don't know, I guess I've just gotten emboldened with these kinds of things. I was like, have you ever just, you know, thought about being a priest? And it looked like somebody sucker punched him, like he couldn't breathe for a moment or something like that. Because it was something that was occurring to him, but nobody ever said it to him. Now, God willing, he's going to enter formation at Mount Angel this fall. But I tell you what, if we don't often talk about the struggles and the reasons why he, he's thinking about not to go, because the culture of our world is like a gigantic anchor. But we have to remember, it's like, what does Jesus say to Pilate? What does he always remind us of? His kingdom is not here. It's like, we have to be constantly moving towards the kingdom of heaven, not anchored to this world, not convinced by culture that this is a bad thing to do to become a priest. It's in fact one of the best things that a young man can do but you have to start talking to young people about this actually being a reality. I never knew that this was even a possibility when I was a kid. I really didn't. I mean, and, and remember, I was the kid who like, now again, my dad was a good example. And despite my, my efforts, you know, on the contrary, uh, to ignore these things, I absorbed his good example. The examples you set in your household of your Catholic faith are the things that are being absorbed. Every time before Mass, my dad used to read from the small Bible in Mass. You know, like while my sister would do that thing. You guys have some kids here, right? We would play that game, like where we would hold each other's hand and we'd try to squeeze it harder than the other person. You know, things like this. Very well-behaved children at church for future priests, right? So I was about as attentive as any one of your children have ever been in Mass. Like, not very. <laughs> so that's how it was for me growing up. But there were examples in my household and things that I saw that I was still absorbing. Examples of virtue, a desire to be a good man in this life. If you do these things in your household, 
then you will never have to worry about the parish priest that you will inherit. That's the thing. You don't have to worry about a scandalous priest or, or just, uh, just a bad priest if you cultivate these vocations in your homes first. Because you'll know the men that you're putting back out into this archdiocese to serve you someday. You'll know who they are. You'll have observed their good character and encouraged it along the way so that they say yes. Like our Blessed Mother Mary, fiat, let it be done to me. And so no matter where you are, even if it's just deciding to go to the seminary, to enter those doors, to say yes to God, to say yes to even be willing to do that. My life completely changed when one day I finally said out loud, actually out loud, in the privacy of me and God, I was just like, Lord, I have tried things my way. I want what you want. Fiat. My life started to dramatically change after that. And so continue to recognize, be talent scouts for those that could be future priests. Right now in our archdiocese, the reality is that there are more priests that are, that are passing away and retiring than there are guys like me coming in. So our, we, we already have our work cut out for us, but God is going to have to do more with less people. So we need him to like supercharge us with the Holy Spirit to be able to bring Christ to all of you. But I never would have been able to do it if good folks like you had not seen it in me in the first place. You've had a huge hand in my vocation. Huge hand by all of your prayers. And there are many days in seminary where I wanted to give up that I guarantee you that I stayed on the wings of some of your prayers. Because there was moments where I was ready. Father Brent and I sometimes would email each other and say, I'm ready to go. Me too. <laughs> you know, it's just like, what's our exit strategy? But we both made it. Those are some of the hard days in seminary. But just like Ernest Shackleton and those men on that journey that he was on, they call his journey one of the most successful failures in history because their expedition did not succeed. But not one man on that expedition died because of his leadership, because he kept them together and he led them like a good shepherd through great and immense difficulty. He was able to allow each one of those men to survive. That is what we need from priests. So please, please continue to pray for good, holy priests. Pray for your own priests. Pray for Father Carey and myself. And, and, and I guarantee you, the Lord will grant us that. But we have to do our part to cultivate those vocations. God bless you all.